Over the last couple of years, on multiple occasions, I and a docent at the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art put together a little excursion called the Bible and Art Tour. Clever name, right? We had an Old Testament and a New Testament version. And like you might expect, Donna, the docent, would talk about the artwork and lead a discussion, and I would talk about the biblical references there. And if there's enough interest, we might resurrect that practice and take some folks from the church and do a a tour like that maybe this spring. It strikes me as the kind of thing that Luke would really like. Contrary to what you may have learned about Luke being a physician, for which there is no basis whatsoever, his impact on art is pretty well documented, and in some traditions he's considered the patron saint of the arts. And if you've been to the Nelson, you wouldn't even have to necessarily be a regular. You may remember there is this one painting, huge painting, of Luke. And in the painting, Luke is painting a picture of Mary and child. You remember that one? It's a painting inside of a painting. That's, in a sense, what we have here in Luke 10. A story tucked away inside of another story. The outer one starts when this lawyer, not a very good translation, probably better to say a biblical scholar, asked Jesus a question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, which has nothing to do with going to heaven after you die, but in Judaism has to do everything with full life now. How do I have the full life now? And in good rabbinic fashion, Jesus turns the question back upon him and says, well, what's written in the law? How do you interpret it? And The expert knows, Jesus knows, everybody knows. He quotes from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19 and puts together the two great commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with, well, basically every fiber of your being and your neighbor as yourself. Which would be the end of the debate, I mean, because Jesus says, well, do this and you will live, except the expert in the law knows, and so did Jesus and everyone else in that first century world, that how do you define neighbor? Well, who is my neighbor? If, if you start with your family and your kin and then you have neighbor and eventually stranger and eventually enemy, well, where does the line blur? Can you relate to this? I, we used to live on a cul-de-sac, 10 homes or so in our little circle. Those folks were our neighbor. If you lived around the corner from us, you were out of luck. <laughs> I mean, that's the way it was. And, but we don't live on a cul-de-sac anymore. Maybe you don't either. So how far down the street do I have to extend hospitality? I mean, I can't care for everybody, can I? I mean, that, that, that couple whose house the paint is peeling off, do I have to be neighbor to them? Or that other couple whose dog does its business in our yard... And they don't even carry one of those little sacks with them. Are they my neighbor? Is the dog my neighbor? What about the man on the corner with the cardboard sign? What about the people of Aleppo? Who's my neighbor? So that's when the outer story gives way to the inner story. Jesus makes up a parable. He says... There was this man. He was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And anybody listening would have gasped at that point. Uh Uh-oh, this isn't going to be good. 
Years ago, I was uh, out of town in San Francisco for a, a, a conference of biblical scholars, and we were checking into these downtown hotels near the convention center, and this was a treat, right? We're out of town. We're in San Francisco. We got there early. We said, let's go for a walk, maybe down to Fisherman's Wharf. So as we're leaving the hotel, we said to the bellhop, is it, is it safe to walk in this neighborhood? Which is a good question. And he said, yes, it's perfectly safe. Just don't turn left. That's what he said. Yep, turn, yep, you'll be fine, but don't go left. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a left turn. And so, as the story goes, he falls among thieves. They strip him, beat him up, they leave him for half dead in the ditch. But then Jesus gets to make up some characters, right? So a priest going down the road, he, he sees him, crosses to the other side, passes on by. There are still debates as to whether or not the law excluded him from doing this, rites of purity, or whether he should have still debates about this. Same thing for the Levite. He comes across the man, sees him, crosses over the other side, goes on his way, and then Jesus introduces the third character. He comes upon him, sees him, has compassion, cares for his wounds, puts him on a donkey, takes him to an inn, and takes care of him. And even when he has to leave, he leaves his credit card so that if the tab adds up to anything, it'll be covered. And that's when the inner story comes back to the outer story. Jesus finishes the narrative, looks at the expert in the biblical studies, and he says, so which one of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? And the man cannot bring himself to say Samaritan. Did you notice that? He'd have to hold his nose. He doesn't do it. He just says, maybe grumbling, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. And that's the end of it. Go and do likewise. That's, that's as plain as it gets. Just go and do likewise. And people think interpreting the Bible is hard work. It's very simple. Go and do likewise. I don't know why we have seminaries. Don't, don't, don't take that literally. <laughs> I don't know why we have Sunday school classes. Why would we study the Bible? It just, it says go and do likewise. I mean, we could, if we wanted to, we could sit in Sunday school with a Bible and a donut and say, well, yeah, but who do you think are the Samaritans in our day? And once we figured that out, let's go and do likewise. And most of us, we kind of like simple endings. We, we don't mind complications in the middle as long as it wraps up nice and neat at the end. Go and do likewise. In, in artistic terms, most of us prefer realism to abstractionist. I don't know what to do with the shuttlecocks on the lawn, but, you know... Go and do likewise. That's what I like. Clear endings. Build hospitals, name them Good Samaritan. Food pantries and shelters, name them Good Samaritan. Go and do likewise. Do you hear a but coming? There is a but. But what if it's not, what if it's not that simple? I don't know if you've ever heard of this little document called the Nora Fragment. It's considered by many the oldest piece of writing to survive to the present. 
It's housed in a museum on the Mediterranean island of Sardinia, and scholars, linguistic scholars, go to make pilgrimage to see this ancient piece of writing. But originally, scholars went to try and figure out what it said. And a bunch of them just scratched their head. They couldn't, they couldn't crack the code. And then one, one fellow figured it out. He said, you have it upside down. What if we've had the parable of the Good Samaritan upside down? More than 30 years ago, biblical scholar John Dominic Crossan asked what I think is the best question ever of this parable. If this is a parable about being neighborly to, you know, those kind of people, then why is a Samaritan the hero and not in the ditch? If you wanted to construct a parable about how we really need to care for the outcast, you'd have a Samaritan in the ditch. But that's not how it works. Most of us take some measure of pride in helping the outcasts. But what would it be like if it were the outcasts who's helping us? Maybe the key to this parable is this little beatitude just in front of the reading. Just prior to where we picked up the reading, Jesus says this, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. And then you have this story where a priest and a Levite see just fine, but they pass by on the other side. And when the Samaritan sees, he stops. Maybe this parable has something to say to, about a, to us about different, different ways of seeing. Wednesday night, my wife and I were here for Ash Wednesday service, and afterwards we headed home. We stopped at the light just before we were getting on the highway, and there was this woman with the cardboard sign. And she, was, she wasn't just sitting at the corner. When the cars would stop, she would walk down and look into the window of each one, kind of, she was pretty intentional about it. And I don't know what your practice is. I'm probably 50-50. Sometimes I reach for it and sometimes I don't. But I had a smudge of ashes in the form of a cross on my forehead. I could not figure out how I was going to just look at her with the cross on my head and say, I'm really sorry. I mean, I, you know, I'm not real consistent, but it had only been a few minutes since the Ash Wednesday service. (laughs) So I reached for my wallet, I pushed the button, the window goes down, she reaches out, and I'm about to say my line, God bless you, when she steals it from me. She says, God bless you. She stole my line. That's my line. That's our line. I'm ordained clergy. I've got ashes on my forehead in the form of a cross. I'm supposed to say, the religious are supposed to say to the outcast, God bless you, but instead she blessed me. My good friend David May and I are leading a trip to Israel. Some of you saw that advertised. And uh, Friday night we went out to dinner And we were talking about the sermons we were working on. And I mentioned to him the Good Samaritan and how it it really turns our world upside down, the whole Nora fragment thing. And and then he chuckled and he said, oh, I got a story for you. Nowadays, of course, 
teachers, professors, they all have PowerPoints and marker boards and YouTubes. But in the old days, David said, he had one of those slide projectors with the carousel. You know, you remember those? You had to load it. You know, it was a... It's kind of a pain, and it, it just never failed that you'd put one in, and it'd be in there backwards, or upside down even, and it wasn't really that simple to get out. So David was in class one time, and he was lecturing, and he, and he hit the button, and there it was, upside down, the image, and so he just kind of sat there, and then he said to the class, well, if, if you'll just sort of... If you'll just sort of get upside down, you can see this just fine. And I said, you, you made them look at it upside down? He goes, you know, sometimes that's the only way to read the Bible. And I think he's right. I think that's the way to read this story. There's no question that in the face of the Samaritan, we see the face of Jesus. But I think, I think we see him in the ditch as well. I know it just says a man, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, but listen to how Luke describes him. He falls among thieves. They strip him. They beat him. They leave him for dead. He's rejected by the religious establishment and ministered to by outcasts. That sounds very familiar. And if that's who we think it is, What are we going to do about it?